All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode six of the DFO Rundown Podcast. I'm Jason Greger in uh, Edmonton, Canada, and uh, Frank Saravalli joining us from Philadelphia in the USA. We are Canada, USA podcast. Uh, we love it, Frank. Now, Frank, I see you. Uh, we're recording early this morning. Are you drinking an energy drink right now? No, I'm drinking a little uh, probiotic smoothie. This is not a sponsored plug, but by all means, if you own one, please contact us. Uh, I need to get the old pipes flowing this morning. Okay. All right. And uh, in Philly, I know you've had a lot of snow. Do do you cross-country ski? Do I look like I cross-country ski? Have you ever tried cross-country skiing? No, I like if I go skiing, I can barely make it from like the bottom of the hill to the lift. So, um, I, I can't imagine how awful cross country skiing would be like, why would you even like, I am all for like, well, uh, clearly I'm not, but I, I was going to say, I'm all for exercise. If that's your thing, like, and you want to get out in the great outdoors and do it like by all means, but like, I have less than zero interest in cross country skiing. Dude, uh, now downhill skiing, you know, obviously in Alberta, we got the mountains and, you know, there's a few hills that are smaller that are close to my house. So I, you know, I grew up as a, a, a skier, not great, but uh, I did it, but I've never cross country skied in my life until the last two weeks. My wife really got into it uh, during COVID. There's not much else you can do outside and there's lots of trails. And so, mm-hmm. but I will say, so if anybody who's downhill skied, like when you get on cross country skis, like there's no edges. The minute you're out of the track, it's literally like Bambi on the ice. And man, so my wife, we go on this trail 
and it's my second day. And the first day was okay. I wiped out right off the start and getting up was just like, thankfully there was no one watching. It was embarrassing. <laughs> and then the next day we're going, she, we, she comes through and she's way ahead of me because she knows how to ski. And I'm like, don't worry, I'll just catch up. We come over this ridge and all of a sudden there's a curve and a hill. I'm like, well, what the hell? You got to so go. I try to go hill. down as slow as I can. Well, of course, eventually now I'm freewheeling. She's videoing without me knowing. I get to the bottom and I just blow it. I'm all over the place. And uh, then she posted for a few of my friends and I watched the video. I'm like, ugh, like this is the worst. So now I have to, in my mind, I'm like, well, I got to go back to that track because I got to be able to ski down that hill without wiping out. And it's like cross country skiing. I'm sweating my ass off. I'm in decent shape. I can't oh. believe how hard it is. That's, that's exactly why I have no interest. I'm more of a, uh, if I'm doing anything outside, I'm golfing. Um, I don't mind downhill skiing in the winter. Don't really do a lot else outside in the winter, obviously play hockey indoors, but golf is my thing. And I got to tell you, we're getting, you know, we talked about my snow mishaps, uh, with, with shoveling, uh, my buddies, my golf buddies were texting me on Thursday and they go, it, it's been warm here. It's been like 10 degrees or 50 degrees Fahrenheit and it's, everything's starting to melt. And so my golf buddy texted me yesterday and he goes, watching this snow melt is better than Pornhub. And I was like, dude, you are not wrong. So how good of a golfer are you? Uh, not like super good. I'm a 12 handicap. So I get around like somewhere in the mid to high eighties, um, is usually where I'm at. So what's the best round you've ever shot? 83. Oof. Eight, yeah. 83 or 81, something like that. Right in that neighborhood. You don't remember the best round you've ever had? Come on. No, I, I think, um, I think it's an 81 after, and I thought that after I said it, but yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. 84 is my best. And I don't know if I'll ever better that. I don't play golf as much anymore. I used to play it when I was single. We used to have games every Sunday with some buddies and I like the chirp. I play better if I chirp in golf. I'm not one of those guys who freaks out if someone's talking in my swing. I'm not that good. Uh, I like, I like the banter. I like to try to get in someone's head. The minute it's too quiet, that's when my game falls apart. Oh, you're one of those. You're no, yeah. Of those I like, like, like the best tournament I could play at would be in Arizona. Right. When the fans are, you know, like, uh, you know, a few of my golf buddies have been there and like that. Now that's how golf should be a little bit at times. I'm like golf. Like I laugh when the guy, like you're a professional golfer, you've taken, I don't know how many thousand million swings in your life and somebody in your backswing clicks. I'm like, dude, if you can't focus, beat it. Hey, I'm all for that. I love the head games. I love just like without even saying anything, how tense a match can get. Someone blows a ball out of bounds but the real reason why I love golf is it encapsulates all of my vices into one tidy day. You've got gambling and copious amounts of drinking. And, you know, if you're lucky, sometimes after the round back in the locker house, you'll have a card or a dice game going like, like seriously, there's nothing better than a Thursday afternoon in the summer uh, as it gets dark late eight, you know, for us, eight thirty, nine o'clock here for you, I know it's a lot later, but you play late, hang out in the locker house, drink a million beers and, and throw some dice. Like seriously, nothing better. See, I love the differences. You guys call it the locker house. We call it the clubhouse. So just small little differences. Uh, I like it. And you're right. Uh, most people don't believe it that in, uh, in Northern Alberta, in the, in the summertime, we're golfing until 1030 at night. Sometimes it's unbelievable. That's amazing. 
Yeah. Hey, let's bring in our good man, uh, Tyler, of course, uh, for another buy and sell. We've got uh, Bruce Boudreaux, who is coming up on the show today. So that should be uh, very uh, exciting. Uh, one of the greatest memes ever on Twitter is Bruce and the darn underneath it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, we'll have to ask him about that one. Uh, Ty, how you doing, man? I am good. I am good. Frank, I think we're right around the same skill level here for golf. So when uh, when we're allowed to travel, you might need to come up here. Maybe the DFO rundown invitational or something. You guys, I'm not playing those Alberta courses. You guys are coming down here where you, <laughs> summer is like six weeks long. You guys can come down here spring summer fall don't care what it is we've got some of the best golf courses in the world right here in philadelphia and you can come down and play i'm in i'm in, I'm in too beauty all right guys uh buy and sell we got five questions lined up four of them from me one from a listener as well but i uh, will get to that one last the first one i got up here staying in alberta but south down the kiwi two. jeff ward will not be the flames head coach two weeks from now frank are you buying or selling that I am buying and I only say it with the caveat, which is this. It's so clear that the flames need a change, but here's the only thing I'm wondering is does Brad tree living have that bullet to play to fire at this point? Uh, Jeff Ward, after just going through this process in the off season and deciding that your interim guy was now going to be your guy, it just, it reeked of inconfidence from the start, only giving Jeff Ward a two year deal. And I don't know if he has the ability to make the change if he wants to, maybe he has to go in a different direction and make a bigger trade, some kind of shakeup. Yeah, I think a trade first. So I'm selling on that one. I think that Treely means going to look and say uh, this, the easy out would be the head coach. They got a lot of guys not playing as well as they have been. I think they'll probably fall back on the fact that Markstrom's been out and they hope that when Markstrom comes back in combined with the trade, that that will allow them to go. So I think uh, Jeff Ward will get a stay of execution. Number two, uh, one of the big names that could be on the trade market this offseason is Jack Eichel. I'm saying Jack Eichel will not be a Sabre when the 2021-22 season begins. Jason, you buying or selling? Ooh, that's a good question, man. Can they trade Jeff Skinner with him? <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to sell. No, I don't like the Sabres. I don't know what a, they're not going to get great value B uh, you know, how many teams are, are going to want to take a $10 million player who right now isn't producing. Uh, so I'm going to say that the, the turmoil in Buffalo extends another season. I am selling on Jack Eichel. I think they're going to try to convince him to stay. Uh, you heard Ralph Kruger, uh, I think about 10 days ago, say Eichel's got to persevere a little bit more. So, uh, well, Eichel probably doesn't like it. I just don't think Buffalo could make a trade that makes sense for them. I am buying to persevere through what it's been a constant shitstorm since he got there. Um, in my opinion, I think Jack Eichel has seen some things. Uh, he's seen that this isn't getting better quickly enough. Uh, he's been there a long time with a real lack of success. And I think, you know, my guess is that he's had enough and, and once out and at a certain point, it's not going to matter what the Sabres try and do to convince him because they've been trying to convince him for a long time. Number three, uh, a couple episodes ago, Jason brought up the idea of Jake Allen taking over in Montreal. And Frank, I think you shot that one down. But with this one, I'm going Jake Allen will end the year with more games played than Carey Price for the Habs. Frank, buy or sell? Mm, I, I can buy the idea, but he has to play some catch up, doesn't he? Like so, yep. Right now. Um, 
and I, I think you're taking that a little bit out of context because he was saying <laughs> would the would the Montreal Canadiens expose Carey Price in the expansion draft, and then would Seattle take him? That's a whole different conversation. Um, and I don't see that happening because of that contract. But um, will Jake Allen get more games? Yes. Will it be enough to overtake Carey Price in the season total? I'm going to sell and say no. Matt, Carey Price is struggling. That, that game last night, oh my goodness, the Habs have a 2 nothing lead. You'd think that uh, you got the new coach. Usually there's that little boost of energy. Everybody's excited, even though the coach was already on the bench as an assistant. But I will actually buy. I will buy that uh, Jake Allen, because Carey Price, this isn't just a January, February swoon. He hasn't been good for quite a while to his level. Like, he's an okay, you know, he's still a good goalie, but his numbers are awful this year. And I think Jake Allen, at some point, it's about wins. It can't be about the salary. Number four, the red hot Edmonton Oilers who have won 10 of 13 and are heading into a series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. They will win the North Division. Jason, you buying or selling? Well, I have to buy because I said at the start of the year they would win. And I've, I've never in 20 years ever picked the orders to win the division because they've, they've been pretty much the worst organization for two decades. But everybody forgets the orders were really good in uh, in 2020 up until four games against Chicago, and then they suck balls. So I look at uh, Edmonton. I don't expect them to go, uh, what are they, 11-2 and two, uh, mm-hmm. the remainder of the way and dominate like that. But you've got the, the best player in the game in McDavid. you got another top five player in Dreisaitl. You've got uh, defensemen that are emerging to play better. And, uh, you know, your, your goaltending tandem, when you get into more games, will be better than they were in January. So I am buying that the Oilers overtake the Toronto Maple Leafs. Sell. I think the Oilers have been fantastic, of course, over these last number of weeks, but they haven't been as consistent as the Toronto Maple Leafs. And just like I don't think the Ottawa Senators were quite as bad as they showed in their first start to the year. And we're seeing that rebound now. I don't think the Edmonton Oilers are quite as good as they've shown over these last couple weeks. So I'm going to sell. I still think they're a firm playoff team. I've said that right from the very beginning. But I think that they're in that two to three, four range in the North Division. And we'll see how it all shakes out. The last one comes from our Instagram when we put out a call. Pat in Van. He says Travis Green will outlast Jim Benning in Vancouver. Frank, are you buying or selling? I am selling. I don't I think both those guys are going to be around as long as um, you know, one is in charge over the other. Uh Jim Benning, uh, there's for whatever reason, Vancouver is the most panicked market in the NHL. And I, I, that says a lot considering, you know, even just looking at the North division and the chaos that's existed there, um, that organization is going to be patient. I, I know everyone, that's not what everyone wants to hear, but they've got these four pillars to build around that are so incredibly hard to find. You've got a goalie in Thatcher Demko, a potential Norris candidate in Quinn Hughes, and up front, Elias Pettersson, and a real leader in Bo Horvat. Those are the four pillars that this team is building on, and this year is not the finished product. It's a good question because like, I'm curious – if, if Travis Green tests free agency, I know it's, it's a, it's a rare thing to say about a head coach and, you know, because you don't really know if, if other teams are going to do it uh, and look at you, but I, I probably would buy on that. I think that there's a better chance because Green's been there shorter and uh, I think the owner really likes him 
that uh, they might they might go with that strange thing where we're going to bring in a new GM, but he has to keep the coach. We've seen other organizations do it. I know it's not necessarily the best strategy right from the get-go, but I will buy the Travis Green outlast Jim Benning because I thought Vancouver, this is the team I thought they'd be this year. I thought they overachieved last year in the playoffs, and that and that can really skew expectations for teams. And, you know, we talk about Quinn Hughes' Norris Trophy potential, not until he learns how to play defense. And that's that's not an argument about a young player, but he's a small defenseman, and he's really good offensively. But right now, he's a train wreck in his own zone. He's going to need a really good partner to settle him down a bit defensively, which I think he can because he's such a good puck mover. And he's very smart, but to be a Norris Trophy winner in today's game, you you gotta you gotta be decent defensively. And right now, he's really struggling. Interesting, guys. There you go. There are five questions for buy or sell. And uh, for the people listening, if you want to have your question heard, just DM us. Our DMs are open on both Twitter and Instagram at DFO Rundown on Insta at DFO Hockey on Twitter. All right, let's awesome. get to Bruce Boudreau. Yeah, we'll get right to uh, the man, Bruce Boudreau. Looking forward to this one. All right, our next guest has spent his entire life in hockey, drafted in the WHA, and then by his hometown, Toronto Maple Leafs. He played 17 years of pro hockey, and then when he was done, jumped immediately behind the bench as a coach. And at the age of 52, after stops in the IHL, ECHL, and AHL, he was promoted to the NHL in 2007 with the Washington Capitals. He's been an NHL head coach for each of the last 13 seasons, where his team won their division title in each of his first eight full seasons behind the bench. One of the winningest coaches of all time. Welcome to the DFO Rundown, Bruce Boudreau. Hi, guys. It's great to be with you. Thanks a lot for joining us. Um, i got to start here. 44 years ago this week, the movie Slapshot was released, Bruce, and you know a little bit about that because you lived it. Your first stop um, was with the Johnstown Jets, and you actually played with the Carlson brothers, who were the Hanson brothers in the movie. you got to have some stories. What was that like? Well, it was it was a a good and bad time, quite frankly. I don't know what time you want to spend on this, but uh, um, it you know uh, it was a lot of fun um, making the movie. I, I learned a lot about just filmmaking, quite frankly. I was I mean I was just part of the team. I wasn't like an actor or anything, but uh, I got to see the behind the scenes stuff. It was some pretty funny uh, uh, hijinks that went on all day long actually making movies is in itself was really boring because you're sitting around if you can imagine with your skates on for eight hours a day and waiting for that one time you have to uh, uh, make a cut a scene or something it's so it's uh, but at the same time it was an experience that I don't think uh, a I'll ever forget and B that I wouldn't trade right now but you actually lived like the team that it was based on no like playing for the Jets like yeah no yeah yeah, I lived in. We were Johnstown. the 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 movie was based on the Charlestown Chiefs, which were the Johnstown Jets. And uh, there was, um, it was the uh, Ned Dowd was a, a player two years previous to the team, and his sister Nancy Dowd was writing a screenplay, and she wrote the screenplay for a thesis at school. Uh, on the, uh, she traveled with the team for two weeks, and then she submitted it to George Roy Hill who thought it was a hoot 
and said he was going to make the movie, and that's how the movie got produced and, and started. And, and Bruce, you mentioned the, the Carlsons. Were they, you know, that over the top? Like, I know hockey was a lot more physical back then, but, you know, was that a little bit of Hollywood, or were those guys, you know, that aggressive? And I know, like, Oglethorpe's legit guy. I've, I've looked him up. But you know, how, how was the league at the time as far as a close proximity to the movie? You know what? It, it was what it was. Johnstown or Charleston was a last place club. And uh, uh, the three Hanson boys, Jeff Carlson, John, and Steve, came down. And then they started just running roughshod. And then they got all the tough guys they could get. And they just beat everybody up uh, until they ended up winning the championship. So, I mean, the story itself is, is loosely based uh, on exactly what happened. And, uh, I mean, like a lot of examples in the movie, like, for, for example, the Carlson's, had a big race car set. They never took them on the road, but we would go there every afternoon and we would play uh, racing cars with them. That's how, that's what we did. Um, uh, so, I mean, things like that, they did get arrested in Syracuse um, for, for fighting in the stands. They did do all, all of those things. The crowd started to come out. I mean, there was, a, uh, as a matter of fact, there was one time they were filming and uh, we were playing at the Buffalo Norseman, and the place was sold out, 3,400 people or something, and in Johnstown, that's right to the rafters, and uh, the guys decided they were going to attack a guy in the pregame uh, warm-up, and, um, and they did, and had the whole thing in the warm-up where everybody's fighting, and, and then they canceled the game, which made Johnny Mitchell, who was the uh, graph character the general manager so upset because he had to give back the money um for the for the game but i mean all of those things or you know are loosely based on facts i mean they made them into fun except for maybe um the ending where um uh what's his name strips and and they hand him the cup you know i mean that's that was a little far-fetched well the whole movie's far-fetched who am i kidding um but that's exactly what happened but it was a uh 44 years later, it's a, it's a weird experience because I would never have thought that it lasted. I mean, it was a terrible decision by me at the time, but 44 years later, it was okay. Now, why do you say it was a terrible decision at the time? Okay, here's, here's the thing. The, the Fighting Saints in Minnesota folded, okay? And um, so there was a dispersal draft, and I was taken number one in the draft, the first guy taken in the dispersal draft uh, to Indianapolis. And my agent, Alan Eagleton, at the time said, ah, you know what, we're going to sign with the Leafs, so why don't you just go down and make that movie, and then we'll worry about everything next year. And I said, okay. And But in hindsight, why wouldn't I have signed with the Leafs right then, gone to Oklahoma City, uh, which was their farm club, get that step in, so when I came to camp next year, they all knew me, um, and I probably would have had a better chance of sticking. Because as it turns out, I I went to the, uh, I did the movie and then signed with the Leafs, and they did send me down to Dallas the next year, and uh, I won the scoring. But if I had had that opportunity the last half of the year, the year before, I probably would have had a better chance of making an impression with the Leafs right away is all I'm saying. 
So when you went uh, in that dispersal draft with the Fighting Saints, did you and you went to Johnstown? Was Paul Holmgren your roommate in Johnstown? Well, that was at the beginning. That was when me and Paul were sent down um, right out of training camp. He was an 18-year-old kid from St. Paul, and we ended up living together. Um, him, me, and Dave Hansen. Uh, we got a place, uh, 50 bucks each uh, for an apartment uh, back then. And um, uh, then when the uh, team folded, Paul signed with the Flyers. And then what happened to me is I just always already explained to you and uh so that's uh he went the route and had a and has had a tremendous career since then and i went the other route now do you does it amaze you at all like having spent so much time um in the game sort of how big yet small the hockey world industry is like i i say hockey's the world's smallest five billion dollar industry um like to to know that you know, you, you were in Johnstown and with the Fighting Saints, with Paul Holmgren, you go on, have your career. He has his, he becomes an NHL general manager at some point, and his team's playing against your team that you're coaching in the NHL four decades later. Like, how crazy is that? It's really crazy. I mean, and we both went through a lot of things to, to get there, but I remember uh, the first time uh, I meet Paul and his his wife and we sat down and we talked for 10 minutes as if we hadn't, um, you know, hadn't missed a beat in 40 years. And, uh, that was, it's, it's, it's a funny, funny world. And everybody knows somebody from somewhere. And, and, uh, in the, in this, in this game, that's why every time I'm watching a game, I look to see if there's players I've coached just to see if I know anybody, if I ever got on that team. Bruce, you, you've had such an unreal career, and, and and I love that you know you really grinded it out and earned your time as an NHL head coach. So let's go back to your playing days. Were you ever thinking in your playing days you were going to get coaching? Frank, I know talked about how instantly you got into it. Like, were you taking notes? Were you one of those guys who was always thinking about coaching, or like when did you make that decision that you were going to be a coach? Uh, I think I was about. Um... 27 or 28 and uh, uh, I, was, I was in the minors and I said, you know, like I, I don't think I'm going to, you know, now I'm a veteran and not a, 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 a rookie or I'm not a, a prospect anymore. So uh, I started thinking, okay, this is what I want to do. I, I don't know anything else. I mean, uh, I didn't go to college. I barely got my high school degree. I better, uh, I mean, I always loved it and I followed it. And it's the only thing I can retain memory wise is hockey stuff. But I mean, um, uh, it was at that time that I thought, geez, I'd like to coach. And I mean, I never thought uh, anything else about it, but I always knew that I, that was where I was going to try to lead to when I was done. And so at, at 38, you know, when I got the chance, I mean, I just came off the season where I had 87 points or something in the, in the, um, I, and, um, and I knew I could still play and I wanted to still play. Cause I, at that time you, you're hoping you can play forever. But then when I got offered a three year contract to coach, even in the, a lowly colonial league, it was, uh, my thoughts were, this is an opportunity I have to take because when you're at 38 years old, and you're playing in the minors the first year you don't have a good year or you get hurt 
is you never get another chance. So you, then you may never get a chance to coach. So when I got offered that uh, the, a three-year deal, I'm thinking, holy crap, security. And uh, I took it. And uh, and from then on, it's, uh, it's, on, you know, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of down, downturns. But at the same time, it's uh, a lot of fun, too. And so you got in and you were a really high offensive player. I'm looking up at your stats and you're just like, like this guy obviously knew the game offensively. So when you became a coach, Bruce, and you know, like everybody says, Hey, defense is about hard work, but you kind of had that offensive mind. Was that an advantage for you? Do you feel as a coach that you maybe could relate to a lot of the different roles and that you could relate to the offensive guys and how, you know, even the best players, whatever league you're playing in, sometimes, you know, their confidence might dip and that you were able to, to maybe understand that because you were one of the few coaches who was actually a really high offensive player. You know, uh, I, I think um, I've been really lucky. I'm going to answer this in a different way is that, I've, and I tell people when, and when it comes to into communication, uh, department departments, I've been, I've played every role, like in the minors, I was always the number one center, the, you know, the high scorer and everything else. But every time I got called up, I was put into a fourth line checker role. So I got to learn both roles, uh, all the time. And then I was called up and sent down so many times in my early years, I understood. And I think I understand what a young player is that gets up, uh, called up and down goes goes through, and and I think I know what a scorer goes through when he's going in slumps. I know what a defensive player uh, has to do, and and as far as uh, mindset for his role. So I mean, I think the luckiest thing about me is I played every role, so I can understand what most every young player or older player has gone through or is going through, and I think that's what. Uh, uh, one of the things that uh, was my biggest success uh, story when it came to coaching. Bruce, I want to ask you about um, this week's turn of events, uh, a hit to the coaching fraternity with Claude Julian being fired in Montreal. Um, I don't want to ask you what it's like to be fired. Cause I, I think everyone could imagine what that's like, just hitting you like a ton of bricks. But from your perspective, you know, your situation in the NHL has been so different to this point. You, you didn't last very long. Um, you know, just going from Washington to Anaheim was such a quick turnaround. And then um, from Anaheim to Minnesota, like you were consecutively behind the bench uh, for a long, long time. What, you know, what's, what do you think of Claude Julian's going through this week and how long does it take you to sort of digest everything that's happened? Well, I'm, pretty sure I can read Claude pretty uh, well in this situation. I mean, you know, and uh, you, you did, you said didn't want to ask about the, about, you know, everybody gets fired, but the biggest difference is in, in Claude's um, uh, case and in, in, in our cases, you know, people get fired every day from every job, but it doesn't uh, get where you get fired and, and all of North America and half of Europe know that you're fired the same day. And, so it gets to be, uh, you know, you you don't want to go outside the doors. I mean, you're embarrassed. You, you want you don't want your kids to go to school if you've still got kids uh, that are school of school age children, and uh, um, it, it's tough because I mean, uh, it, it's not a good feeling when everybody in the world knows that you got fired, and uh, uh, just the connotation of the word fired doesn't mean uh, you know you you 
it means that you failed. And uh, I think Claude's going through that, that he thinks he's failed. And, but at the same time, um, you, you don't want to, you don't want to, like I went right in and went into lockdown in the house. I mean, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't seeing anybody. My biggest thing was to make sure the kids knew before they went to school. But, um, and I'm sure he's going through the same thing. He's getting a lot of well-wishers and everybody's telling him, Hey, it shouldn't happen. I can't believe they did that to you. Blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't make you feel any better. Um, because you know, you're the one that's not working. And, and as coaches and guys like uh, Claude and myself that have been in this business for, for an awful long time, we just want to be in the battle with our team. And uh, uh, so you sit at home and, and you go to work every day at 6.30 and now all of a sudden you don't know what you're supposed to do uh, because you're not at work. And it's a, it's a, it's a tough uh, situation, you know, for a lot of us a lot of the time. And so now having been out for a bit, since Minnesota, is that the toughest part is just not, not being in the mix and not being in the battle? Yeah. I mean, well, the toughest part, I don't know what to do with myself half the day because I mean, uh, I'll look up and I'm going, holy crap, it's February already. You know, I mean, uh, I'm supposed to be behind the bench with somebody because it's never been, uh, like you said, in when I got fired in Washington, I was hired actually the same day in Anaheim when I got fired in, Minnesota, I was uh, contacted the same day by uh, Ottawa and Minnesota. And so this has by far been the longest that uh, I've actually uh, been out of, out of work. So it's uh, uh, my wife hates me for it because <laughs> I'm bugging her. I'm walking around at the house all the time going, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? Everything okay? What are you doing? You know, like driving her nuts because, um, you know, like they have their routines that when you're at work all the time and, and now I'm uh, – I'm not doing that routine. So it's, uh, uh, it's tough. It's, it's, it's really tough actually to, to start something new when you, all you want to do is, is, is hockey related stuff. So Bruce, you mentioned, that, and I, I didn't know it was the exact same day. So, you know, you, you mentioned it's brutal, you're locked down, but then you get those calls and obviously other teams see the value in you. What made you choose Minnesota over Ottawa at the time? Well, at the time, it was um, uh, a lot of it just came financially. I mean, uh, uh, Minnesota made a commitment. Ottawa, um, at the time, had said, okay, we'll match it. And they said, they came back and they said, oh, can you do three years? And then they came back and they said, two years. And so they were just, uh, uh, they, they were waffling. And, and my agent said, no, we're going to go check this in. Uh, straight and uh, up front with you all with all the time let's uh, uh, let's get doing that let's go with them and I said yeah that sounds fine and um, uh, you know it was it was a tough decision because my daughter lives and my grand two granddaughters live in uh, Ottawa um, but we chose Minnesota so it was uh, my wife's American and my uh, my present wife's American and and our son is, is American too so it would have been harder for him to do the, them to do the whole Canadian thing as well. So um, that's why we chose it. I mean, it had nothing to do with anything other than what was going to be. I mean, Jared Dorian was great. Chuck Fletcher was great. Uh, uh, it's just the, the offer was more, um, I wouldn't even say substantial, but it was, it was, you know, there was no changing of the, 
of words or anything in the deal. So it's, uh, uh, it, it was an easy choice actually to make. It seemed like it was a more secure and that they were more confident that you were the right guy for them. Can, can you take think, me back to yeah. Bruce Boot? Bruce Boudreaux's first day in Anaheim and how different maybe that was your first time in Minnesota. Like, how do you come in as a coach like that and that quick of a turnaround? And, you know, do you feel your way in? Do you, do you come in like a bull in a China shop? What's the approach for Bruce Boudreaux when you, when you join a team right away? Well, there was two different uh, approaches. Like when I went to Washington was after game 21, almost the same time. And, um, but I had coached six of those guys, the previous year and we won the Calder cup and I've been there in training camp and everything else. So even though, you know, your heart's beating a mile a minute, uh, um, it, it was still, uh, it was still comfortable. When I went to, uh, when I went to, um, Anaheim, I didn't know one person. I, I knew one person, George Peros on the team who I had coached in Manchester in the, in the minors. And I, like, I didn't know any of these guys. I'm reading on the plane. Matt Pileski, who's this guy? Who's uh, Devontae smith Kelly? Who's, uh, like, I had any idea. So, I mean, I walked in there, and uh, I recognized Ryan Getzlaff. He came over to say hi. It was the first time I met. But I didn't recognize Corey Carey, and he came over and said hi. And I, he had to tell me his name. Like, oh, Corey Carey, sure. You know, blah, 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 you know. Um, so it was a little weird. So, But the, the practices were the same thing. I, did, I used the same approach I did not uh, when I went into Washington, I, I said, um, okay, like we're, we're going to change. Uh, I don't know how Randy Carlisle did the things before you, but this is what we're doing now. And from the first practice on, we changed everything uh, uh, to the way I, I thought it should be um, that fit my personality, that the way I wanted to play. And, and they reacted pretty good in, in uh, Washington. It happened right away. They, jumped right onto it and, and everything. It took about two weeks um, to get going in uh, Anaheim to where we felt comfortable. And then once we got comfortable, even though we were, were dead last at one point, we went, I think, 21-1-2 and two in the next 24 games and jumped right into a potential playoff position, which we um, we didn't make, but we were uh, we were eliminated by the, I think it was the third last game of the season. So, and, and then the next year we ended up winning the division and uh, and stuff. So it was it was it was, both were good. Uh, both are you know you try to put on a good face because you're so nervous. Like the first job with Anaheim was so nervous because uh, or the first job with Washington because I'd never coached in the NHL. I was just freaking out a, a little bit. The second job in Anaheim, you're nervous because you don't know anybody. I, I mean. I knew Bob Murray a little bit, and the and their um, uh, head uh, pro scout was Rick Patterson, uh, who was a good friend of mine, and and that's probably more how I got the job than anything else. But uh, uh, you're just nervous, and you go in, and you've got to determine, you got to put the face on, and say, and make them believe that the way we're going to play right now is the way that's going to make us win. And uh, hopefully, I did that. All right, Bruce, we're going to. A little, uh, a little rapid fire, short answers. I got six quick questions for you. You ready? Yep. What is one hobby that's kept you occupied during the pandemic? Um, TV, <laughs> watching hockey. Every like, I mean, since hockey's 
restarted. Just we watch every game every night all the time. Um, I, you know, my wife keeps telling me I've got to get a hobby. Uh, uh, I golf all summer long, but it's pretty hard to golf in these times right now. Well, that was my next question. Could you tell me how many hours a week you think you watch hockey? Well, it starts at seven o'clock and it usually ends at one o'clock. Last night there was 10 games on. So, I mean, I'm in New Jersey doing the NHL network thing. So, uh, uh, I watched as many as I could and the NHL network, you know, had the Euler game on too. So I watched that one. So it's, uh, once dinner's over, it's hockey night in Canada and hockey night in the U.S. for the Boudreaux family. There you go. What is the, who is the funniest player that you coached? Like who could get you in stitches no matter what moment it was? Jim Ralph. There you go. Uh, you yeah, know Jim like Ralph. He, he was a teammate. Yeah, he was my teammate. But uh, uh, we sat beside each other in the dressing room and all we did was laugh. I mean, no matter how serious the situation was, he, as you guys, if you know Ralphie, uh, he could make you laugh in any of those situations. What is your favorite NHL road city for food? Um, well, you know, it's a, that's a tough question for the, no, it's not Washington. Uh, because we, we made the Capitol grill in Washington, our, our favorite place to eat, but uh, I am such a bad eater and, and uh, such a, a finicky eater that, Anything fancy, I don't really go to. It's steak and meat and potatoes for me. Huh. So what is the Bruce Boudreaux cocktail of choice? Um, well, it's changed over the years. Uh, now I'll have a glass of wine. Um, when I was 22, it was anything that was put in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and our last question is... Um, what what's your plan? Like, when do you, how long, if you could, you know, you want another opportunity, how long would you like to coach for? I don't know. I mean, I, I think in, until it wasn't um, fun to get up every morning and, and, uh, and do it. Like, I mean, uh, like I've been fortunate in quite frankly, because we've never been on a team that's been under 500 at the end of the year. And, and other than, um, two years ago, uh, it never was in a full season uh, where I missed the playoffs um, since 97. So, I mean, uh, it, it's always been fun. If it becomes a non-fun thing, um, I probably, uh, you know, at my age, probably wouldn't enjoy it anymore and probably I wouldn't have a job anyway if, if, it, if it became into that situation. But it's something I do every day. I feel I have the energy. I feel... Uh, I feel like uh, I could get up every morning and go on the ice with the guys and, and work with them. And I still think I have the emotion uh, to be able to, um, uh, to motivate. And so, I mean, at this point, uh, I, I would like to do it as long as I could. I watch all the football guys. They're all, all the guys that win Bruce Arians, uh, uh, Andy Reed, they're all, in their, all close to their seventies or in their seventies. So, I mean, I don't see why, uh, uh, why hockey people can't do that as well, uh, other than the skating part. I mean, it's a, still a time-consuming thing where you have to have the energy to want to do it, and I feel I do. And so in the meantime, I, I got to ask you about your decision to start two USPHL franchises, the Minnesota Blue Ox and the Hershey Cubs, alongside your wife, Crystal. What made you want to get into junior hockey in the U.S.? 
Well, the, again, I, I hate making these short questions into long ones, but in Minnesota, quite frankly, our son was 17. He was a goalie. And um, uh, the hardest thing to do is, is when you get, if you have kids, you know the tryouts are in April and early May, and when you go to a different town in June and July to find a spot for your team, to, for your son to play. So he played one year as a, a third goaltender uh, in um, the USPHL. The, then that coach asked me if we wanted to start a team together, and I said yes because uh, I knew then that uh, Brady would be um, uh, get a chance to play, and so we did. Um, and so we started the Blue Ox, and it became, you know, pretty successful, quite frankly. And uh, um, and Brady is now a coach there. And so when we moved to Hershey, it just seemed so perfect to do it again. We knew what we were doing. The uh, the venue was perfect. The people we knew were perfect, and it was a, the only thing in in the Hershey area that didn't have a junior team, and but had such a rich history of of hockey that we thought it would be. A really neat thing and uh, so we did and the support has been tremendous so far the people have been great uh, uh, you know other than I sit at home and go what the hell am I doing now I'm working twice as much as, as I used to work uh, getting this team on off, off the board uh, but Crystal does so much work it makes it easy for me so it's a but it's again a love for the game I mean uh, I can't picture myself doing anything else but I mean all my kids are into hockey now uh, coaching or, or doing skill development. Uh, uh, my daughter does the website for the team. Um, uh, and Ben's coaching in Fort Wayne in the East Coast League. Andy's a skills coach in Banff, uh, Alberta. So it's in our blood, and I, I think it's uh, – I'm happy it's in our blood. I think it's the best sport in the world, and we love, uh, we love doing it. Bruce, uh, your your kids, I I, I would assume, are, are very much up on social media and technology. You have one of the greatest memes out there. You're on the bench. You're, everybody knows what you say, but it just says "darn" underneath. Uh, how often does that meme get shared in, in the in the Boudreaux family chats? Well, somebody sent it to me the other day again for the two thousandth time. Um, but it, it, you know what. Those guys are all up on social media. I'm the only one that's the dinosaur that uh, uh, is not up on it. I'm I'm so glad I don't have Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, or anything because I would I would be answering all the critics and I get kicked off. So I wouldn't be doing uh, I wouldn't be in much favor. I would have been kicked off of there long ago. <laughs> and one last one for me, Bruce. Uh, you were at Slapshot. Is there one character? in the Slapshot movie that they related close to you when you played? Um, I don't think they went in depth to, to, to those characters. I mean, they were more with the tough guys, the Killer Hanson the, and, the, and the Carlson brothers and everything else. But I will say this about the movie, that when, um, if you remember the part where Paul Newman was lying on the bed with the dog and he couldn't get any sleep, that was my apartment and uh, uh, that they were using. And the way they got that was George Roy Hill uh, came into the dressing room after practice one day and he said, guys, I need an apartment for a scene. Who's got the dirtiest, messiest, sloppiest apartment on the team? And every guy instantly turned and pointed to me. So if there was a pig pen or something like that uh, that they were showing in the, in the movie, 
that would have been me. That is awesome. Oh, I love it, man. Uh, well, we could talk for hours about the, the slap shot movie. Cause you like, when you watch it, man, that's my old apartment. Like uh, you must just have story after story of that time. And just that whole film. And I know you mentioned that maybe it wasn't the, you know, the perfect uh, decision for you at the time, but when you look back 44 years later, one of the most successful, if not most successful hockey movies of all time, and, and you have a real direct connection to it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it, you know what? It, it, it is cool after all this time. And I didn't think it would ever, you know, be like that. But, uh, I mean, one more story uh, from the movie was uh, one night um, Paul Newman asked uh, Dave Hansen, he said, uh, pick a guy and um, come over and watch the dailies with us. And the dailies are, are what they shot that day. And so Dave, uh, Dave asked me. And uh, so we went there. So there was only George Roy Hill, Paul Newman, me and Dave Hansen in the room, and uh, and I don't know why I remember it so vividly. Probably because Paul Newman said it was. He turned around. We were sitting behind him, and he said, "You know what? I made the movie Judge Roy Bean just recently, and I just did that one for the money. But I making this movie. This is going to be a hit. This is going to last forever. I'll never forget him saying that. And." Uh, uh, look what look what happens. Turn around, and the next thing you know, uh, this movie's forty four years later. It's still going strong. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, joining yeah. us, Bruce. We we really appreciate you taking the time on the DFO rundown, and uh, we hope to see you back behind an NHL bench very soon. I hope so too. It'd be fun, uh, um, but uh, hockey's great, and let's keep it going. Thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate this. Bruce Boudreaux. That, oh man, I could have sat there for hours, Frank, talking uh, about Slapshot. It, it's one of my favorite movies. And I, I love that he didn't like the ending either because I thought that's the only thing that was bad about the movie. But just hearing those stories, like that's Bruce Boudreaux's apartment. Like I can visualize exactly what he's talking about in that scene. That's amazing. It's ridiculous. Like I, I guess even when I asked the question at the beginning, I, I knew that he was there and he played for the Jets but I didn't know that he actually was an extra in the movie. So like, it's amazing. You learn something new every day. Oh, it's phenomenal. I love it. That's what I love about the rundown. You get guys and they go in different directions that we're maybe not, uh, not expecting to go in. Um, like, you think, teams think about for- his whole, his whole life, Jason, like everything that we talked about 50 plus years in the game, player, coach, draft pick, um, he's seen it all, but then like how far reaching it is with his family. He mentioned all of his kids involved in the game in some way or another, even his daughter running the website for these two junior franchises that he operates. Like it's, it's his whole, like how many, how many hours a week, Bruce, do you spend watching hockey? Well, it comes on at seven and it's off at 1am. Like that's, that's incredible. Like you'd think at some point you'd be like, all right, like I'm taking the night off. I don't need to watch like there it's, it's in their blood quite literally. Yeah, and it's it's awesome. Do you see, like, when you look at the type of coach that Bruce Boudreaux was, and let's be honest, he's a winner. You know, as he said, he's always been on winning teams. He's always been on teams that are over 500. And when you look at the, at the current regime, and, and you and I have agreed on this, you know, we didn't think there'd be a lot of coaches being fired during the year. And if they were, it's going to be promoted from within because, A, they'd have to quarantine a new coach. And then, B, there's the extra cost for the coach that season. So you looked ahead to the offseason. Do you see a few teams 
that fit Bruce Boudreaux? Because I don't know if it, at his stage of his career, he wants to, you know, start at a, like a Detroit Red Wings, no offense, like a real rebuilding team. Do you see like a, a middle of the road team that might be a fit for him that could be make it a coaching change? I mean, we were just talking about the Calgary Flames earlier in buy or sell, like that type of team where they are, where they have some pieces to play with that could, you know, take that next step. I mean, Think about what the Caps were before Bruce Boudreaux arrived. They were a team with a young Alex Ovechkin and not a lot else around him. And they were really struggling to start that year. He came in, I believe I was at Bruce Boudreaux's first NHL game. It was Black Friday in 2007. So the day after U.S. Thanksgiving, if I'm not mistaken, it was an afternoon game in Philly against the Flyers. And they went on a tear after that. And so he has this ability to take teams and make them better quickly. And there may be some sort of lifespan or, or shelf life to that. But I think he's a fan, like his record speaks for itself, eight straight division titles in complete seasons. And the other part is, as you mentioned, he's a winner, 635 career winning percentage, like points percentage that it's up there among the best of all time. So, um, you know, for a team that has some pieces like a Calgary or like another team that's in that mix, but needs a kick in the arse, I think he's the guy to do it. With Mark Bergevin being bilingual, do you think they have to have a bilingual speaking head coach in Montreal for this next hire? Or as long as they have their GM and a few assistant coaches who are bilingual, do you think he would look and would Bruce Brudrow at all be an option for Montreal? I just from the people I talked to in Quebec, they would say that it's a, it's non-negotiable that you need a head coach that speaks French. And I think they realize the disadvantage that it puts them in at times because they're not opening up the pool to the, the potential strongest candidates. I will say this, that I think Dom Ducharme having spent a lot of time around him nearly a month consecutively uh, at world juniors in the past he, he, I think he's going to be a perfect fit for this team in terms of attention to detail. He's a collaborator. He's such a change from Claude Julien, sixth oldest coach to sixth youngest. And I think it's going to, this is going to work out swimmingly, I, I believe. In fact, the, the thing I'm surprised most, most with is that he has the interim tag. So I think this will work out, but I think okay. moving forward, um, I, I just, don't think that they look at it any other way that that unique special franchise needs a French speaking coach. And the fact that they've gone to two previously that, um, you know, recently coached for the team in the last two decades, like this was Claude Julien's second stint. It shows you how small that population is um, in terms of not the Quebec audience, which is enormous, just in terms of people that they would consider for the job. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. And Frank, it's another week and uh, the Chicago Blackhawks continue to roll and they're showing no signs of slowing down. Like Patrick Kane is legit right now. He's in the MVP uh, race consideration for sure. You know, Lankinen's been awesome. You know, he's probably the front runner for the, uh, for the Calder right now. Like they, that team, and they're doing this without Taves. They're doing this without Kirby Doc. Like, I get more impressed the more, cause I'm starting to watch more Hawks games. Like they won, you know, they shut out Columbus the other day. Like they're not just winning anymore on the back of their special teams. 
I think I figured out, Jason, you got a little man crush on Patrick Kane. Dude, I, I'll be honest. Patrick Kane, when the puck's on his stick, he's the most favorite player for me to watch in the NHL. I don't think there's anyone better. When Kane starts cycling the puck in the offensive zone, Frank, I'm not going to lie, man, gets me a little excited. He's he's that good of a, of a player. That's a little weird. Um, gets you a little excited. But, hey, you mentioned Lankinen. I wanted to point out, too, Malcolm Subban has been a big part of the yeah. Hawks. Um, in net as well. So it's been a tag team effort, Lankin and, and Subban, three straight wins for Subban as well for the Hawks. Well, that was an awesome uh, episode number six of the DFO rundown. Always good to talk to you, Frank. Uh, lots of action coming up this weekend. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, are, are we going to see a domino effect from other teams now that Montreal was the first one to make a coaching change? If, it, if the heat keeps turning up in some markets, so we'll have lots to talk about on Monday. Stay off those skis. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.